The following is a message by Pastor Dale O'Shields, Senior Pastor of Church of the Redeemer. We pray that you will be blessed by this message. Now, here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. We're involved in a series of messages called From Me to We, and I want to talk this weekend, continue to talk about making your marriage work, the value of learning to build right relationships, especially in marriage. Now, as soon as I announced the topic of making marriage work, I'm sure that for many of you, perhaps, who are not married, you say, well, what does this have to do with me? And what I would say to you is this, it applies to everybody. There's nothing that I will talk about today that does not cross the spectrum of all kinds of relationships, single or married, although I'm focusing particularly in on marriage. There are things that you can take home with you that will help you in every relationship in your life, your friendships, your business relationships, your interaction with family and friends. All of these principles will work in your life. When it comes to relationships, you will sometimes ask people about a relationship in their life and how it's going, and their response will sometimes be something like this, well, it's, it's kind of complicated. Have you ever heard that before? My relationship is a bit complicated. It's, it's complex. I can't quite explain what's going on. It doesn't seem to be quite everything I expected, and it seems like some things are not working the way that I, I wanted them to work, and so it, it's just complicated. It's hard to describe exactly what's going on, and that should not be a surprise to us. Because relationships involve taking two people who are broken, sinful people and bringing them together and trying to somehow get unity and harmony. And of course, it's a very challenging thing. And oftentimes what happens in our relationships is conflict and difficulty and problems that will arise in our interaction with one another. And often that conflict begins to intensify over time, and there becomes this war zone that we live in. There's a fight going on either inside of us or around us in our homes and environments. It might be a hot war zone or a cold war zone, but we feel like there's just an absence of something that is very vital, and that is peace. And I will tell you that you will never operate at your best in a war-like atmosphere. No nation operates at its best when it's under war when it's going through a time of conflict, and you, you will not operate at your best when you're going through times of conflict as well. And so I want to talk to you about the main principle that we're looking at together this weekend, the principle that I think that is vital for us to understand as we launch into this t- teaching time today is this, to make marriage work, you must pursue, what's the word again? Peace. Peace is the opposite of war. If your, if your marriage is going to work, if any relationship is going to work, you have to go after, you have to make a very specific pursuit of this thing called peace. Peace is God's plan for your life. Let me take you to Romans chapter 12 and look at this verse. We looked at it last weekend. I'll draw your attention to it again. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you're honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Please notice that last sentence. Do all that you can, everything possible on your part, to do what? To live in peace with everyone. That everyone obviously includes your spouse, your your children, your family environment, your friends, your neighbors, all the folks that you interact with that we're to do everything we can to actually live in peace. Think about this with me for a moment. If you had this kind of an environment in your home where the husband was doing everything possible to live in peace and the wife was doing everything possible to live in peace in the family, if the kids were doing everything possible to live in peace, would this be a positive environment to experience? Of course it would. 
Think about all the productivity and the wonderful things that would come out of that kind of a relationship, that kind of an environment. So the Bible is very wise in pointing us to this fact that we're to do all that we can to actually live in peace. And so I want to talk this weekend about how do we do this? How do we do everything that we can to experience peace in our relationships? We talked a bit about this last weekend. We talked about the importance of discovering our differences, and there are differences that we have in terms of personalities. And once you understand something about one another's differences, it helps with peace. We talked about appreciating the positive things that you see in your spouse. I want to talk about three more things today that will help us to do everything we can to live in peace with one another. The first thing I like to talk about today is this this truth. We need to learn to address the pain points in our relationships positively. Pain points. Every relationship is going to have pain points. A pain point is something that causes hurt or pain, obviously, or disappointment. Or frustration. In every relationship of life, you're gonna have certain times in the journey with another person where they're gonna hurt you, there's pain in the relationship, there's disappointments that happen, there are frustrations that you are dealing with, you're finding yourself in a pain point. You're bound to have pain in every relationship because we're sinful people, self-centered people, because we are insensitive and hurtful and we're broken and dysfunctional. Sometimes we actually uh, say things that we shouldn't say and act in ways we don't really wanna act and then we end up in pain on the people around us. And while we should obviously learn how to overlook certain things, we'll talk more about that in a moment, there are times in your relationship when you have to address some pain points that are going on. You have to learn how to communicate about your pain points. You have to talk about them. You have to resolve conflict. And if you acknowledge that there's conflict in a relationship and then you don't talk about how to resolve it, then you're going to be left not knowing what to do, not having a skill set that is essential to your interaction and to the pursuit of peace. And so I want to talk to us about this idea of resolving conflict and addressing these pain points when we're hurt and frustrated and disappointed and we, we need to talk something out with someone else. How do we go about this? Let's look at some scriptures first that highlight this. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 verse 9, God blesses those who do what? Who work for peace. They, for they will be called the children of God. Jesus said that there's a blessing that comes to us when we work for peace. Notice that there's a word there, work. You have to engage a process. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 3, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Notice notice that you'll not have peace, which is the end result here, without making every effort. You again have to work to make it happen. So what is the work that we need to do when we're going through a painful time in a relationship that will help us to experience this peace? What effort do we need to put in? I'm going to walk you through 12 ways that you need to apply, things you can apply in your life that will help you to resolve conflicts. Number one is this, in any conflictual situation, when there's a pain point in your relationship, the first thing that is important is for you to own your own bad behavior and your own bad attitudes. You will never heal a relationship while you're blaming someone else. It never happens. As long as you are pointing the finger at another person, 
There's never a moment for reconciliation. So reconciliation can only happen when you're willing to own your own bad behavior and your own bad attitudes. All of us have bad behavior and bad attitudes at times, correct? And so what we want to do is we want to push those off and make somebody else responsible for them. But healing happens. Conflict begins to be resolved when you and I own them. The second thing that is essential to resolving conflict is we start out our conversations in the resolution of conflict. We begin them by affirming our commitment to love and to peace. For example, if you're about to have a conversation uh, related to a problem area in your marriage, the best way to start out is, honey, I just want to share with you. I know we've got some things to talk about here that I'm hurt about. Maybe you're hurt about, but I want you to know that we're on the same team together. I'm not against you. I am for you. I love you, and our goal out of this is to solve a problem, not to attack one another. And so even before we engage the conversation, I start by doing what? Affirming my What's the word there? Commitment. I am committed to you. I'm committed to loving you. I'm committed to finding peace and coming to a solution. It's called a soft start. Don't start in a hard way. Start in a soft way. The Bible says that a gentle answer will turn away wrath. The third thing, if you're going to resolve a conflict, you have to use I feel or I experience statements instead of you make me statements. A you make me statement is something like this. You make me so angry. You make me so mad. Anytime you're having an argument with someone and you come out with a phrase like that, you make me, what you did was you just put the responsibility for your anger on somebody else. You've taken all your bad behavior and said, it's really your fault that I'm feeling this way. I have no control over my own emotions. You're responsible for every emotion that I feel, which is obviously inaccurate. The better thing to say is something like this. You know, we've got a conflict going on right now, and there's some hurt that I have, and and I'm feeling some hurt. I'm feeling some disappointment. I know that you are as well. I'm feeling some pain in our relationship. I experienced something a few moments ago when you said this. As soon as I say the I feel, I'm experiencing, what I've done is I've moved away from the blame, the pointing of finger. I'm owning it in my own life. I'm not saying you made me become anything. I'm not pointing that, that responsibility toward you. The next thing that is essential is to consider how you are contributing to the problem and be willing to admit it. Now, this is hard to understand at times, especially when you're going through maybe an argument with your spouse and maybe it's heated up a bit and there's all this uh, interaction going on. What can easily happen is that you can lose sight of what you're bringing to the situation. And you're bringing something to the problem that, generally speaking, every conflict has two contributing partners, two people who are adding to the problem. And so you have to think as you're going through this interaction with the other person, let me hear what's being said so I can consider maybe I'm adding something to this situation that I'm not aware of. And when you realize what you're adding, you have to be willing to do what? Isn't that hard to do? To be willing to say, you know what, time out here. I realize that what you just said is really true. What you just said about the situation and how I'm responding to you, that's really true. And I just want you to know that I admit that I really messed up in this area. I'm acknowledging it before you. Think about what that does in the context of a conflict. The next thing that's necessary is address problems how? Clearly, don't blame. We've talked about that. Don't name call and don't attack. I want to focus primarily on this one for a moment. It is so easy when you're mad at someone to begin to pull out names. 
calling names. There's a little statement that we've heard in school. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. You know, that's the most ridiculous statement you will ever hear in your life, okay? Sometimes I'd rather somebody beat me with a stick and stone me with stones than to say things so bad about me. Amen? Okay? Because words stick with you for a long period of time. And you and I need to be aware of the reality that when you are in the context of, a, of an argument, it is so easy to whip out a sword, a stone of a word that you speak to another person. You cast that at them and you, you label them in some way and it's hurt them deep down in the core of their being. What you want to do is make sure that you get rid of the name calling because it represents an attack against them personally in a very damaging sort of way. And then the next thing is you're going through a conflict resolution. Remove the drama. Remove the drama. Here's what happens. Anytime there's a conflict and an argument going on, we have this tendency as human beings to want to drag in our drama, okay? We drag in our drama because we want to make our point. We want to be understood. And so that means that if I've got to make my point, my drama is I've got to raise my voice to a higher degree or a higher pitch. And I've got to gesticulate my arms and I've got to do all these kind of things so you'll really hear what I'm about to say. You've got to understand me. And my drama is up at this level of intensity. And so what happens, because my drama is at this level, then the other person says, I got to match that, okay? I got to at least match that. And so and this person engages in their drama. Before long, you got this massive drama going on, and everybody's competing for an Oscar, okay, is what's going on here, okay? And nothing is getting resolved. And so what you want to do is, is, is Bring everything down just to remove the drama. So let's just talk about this in a way that, that represents two adults communicating about a problem. Because drama never resolves conflict. The next thing that's necessary is to avoid generalizations. When you're in an argument with someone, you're trying to resolve a conflict, don't use generalizations. What is a generalization? Here it is. You always do that. You never do that. You know what happens when someone says to you, you always do something? Immediately, as soon as I say you always, what does your mind do? It starts clicking back into the times you didn't do that. Or you never, you start clicking through the processes of the times you, you actually did what they say you never do. And so you begin this defensive process. And so this generalization of using phrases like always and never. One of the greatest things that happened in our marriage over the years is to learn, learn to get rid of that kind of phrase. The always never really is not accurate and it's not effective. All it does is it creates a sense of defensiveness. The next one is listen. Then I added this phrase, what? Really listen. There's a difference between listening and really listening. Most of us listen, and, and especially in, conflict, in a conflict context. The way that we listen is we listen because we have to, so that we have the opportunity to say what we really, really want to say. Okay. I'm going to listen to you. I'm not really listening, but I want you to get through saying what you're going to say because I don't really care what you say. I want to say what I want to say. Okay. Because my point is obviously a lot better than your point. Okay. And my insight in this situation is a lot better than your insight. And so go ahead. So what you're going to say, I, I'm kind of like, do, 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 do. go ahead. <laughs> now you're done. Now listen to me. But real listening is different because real listening listens for something beyond just the words that are spoken. We've all heard this before. Someone you'll ask them, how are you doing today? And they'll say, I'm fine. 
Well, if you look up fine in the dictionary, what does fine mean? It means okay, everything's great, everything's wonderful. But how do you know they weren't saying everything's great and everything's wonderful? They said, I'm fine, but the tone of their voice meant I'm not fine, okay? Something's bothering me. And so real listening goes beyond just the words that are spoken to the, to the, to the emotions that are behind it. And so the Bible says that we're to be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to get angry. And so we have to really, really listen. And then to be teachable. That is, what can I learn from this? Can I lay aside my pride? Can I acknowledge some things that I will need to learn as a part of this process. The next one is to accept apologies. How? Graciously. Don't make people, when they apologize to you, don't make them grovel for forgiveness. No, when they acknowledge that they've done something wrong, be gracious in your forgiveness toward them. The next one that is essential in conflict resolution is give attention and space for repair and recovery. I want to talk about this one just for a moment. Anytime you have a heated argument or an intense conversation with someone, not only are your emotions involved, your body is involved as well. Your body, your blood pressure rises, your heartbeat intensifies, certain hormones are released in your system, your brain ways begin to react in certain ways based upon the chemistry going on in your mind at that point in time. There's, there are physiological things that happen in the midst of any, any kind of conflict. It's called the fight or flight syndrome. Okay. So much so that the Bible in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word in the Old Testament for anger, interesting word, literally means the flaring of the nostrils. That's the Hebrew word. So anytime you see the word anger in the Old Testament, you can know that the Hebrew word that was translated anger, at least most of the times it was translated anger, comes from the word that literally means the, the flaring of the nostrils. Why? Because when you get angry, your nose gets bigger. It does, okay? Look in the mirror, okay? Your nostrils flare, and that's, that's tough for those of us who already have big noses. We've got a bigger problem now than we had before, Okay? But your nose gets bigger. We call it your, your, your nose is out of joint. We talk about something being uh, different about you. So what's happening is there's all these physiological things that happen when you're in the midst of a conflict. And then what we do oftentimes is we, we get to a place, we feel like the conflict is over, and we expect the other person or ourselves to be better right then. You need a little time, amen? Okay, A little time to repair and to recover. You need time for that blood pressure to go back down again. You need time for that, that heartbeat, that heart rate to recover. You need time for your nose to get back to the right size again, okay? Right? <laughs> and those are moments that can be so critical. So, you know, we've talked through this, and we've kind of talked about, we need, let's just take a little break right now. It's okay. We, we're committed to this thing. Let's just kind of get back to normal again and give some space for repair and for recovery. I think this is the last one here. Learn to do what? Learn to let go. This is where it all ends up. At the end of a conflict resolution session, when you're trying to deal with something that's been a pain point in your relationship, ultimately what you want to do is let it go. What you do not want to do is to create a history account. Okay. A history account is, you know what, we talked through this, and I'm saying I'm letting it go, but I'm really not letting it go. I'm putting it over here in this account. 
just in case it comes back up again. And so we start adding things into this account. And the next time that something comes up similar to what we just experienced, we come back to this account. And before long, we've got all this stuff here. And so when the next conflict comes in, it's not just that one event that we're dealing with. We're dealing with all this event that's happened. And we're flooded with all the history. What I want to encourage you to do and what God encourages us to do, more importantly, is when you've, when you've dealt with the problem with someone else, You've got to learn to, say it with me, let go. Delete your history, amen? Just delete it. So we're starting fresh. We're starting fresh again. Most of this boils down to the words that we speak. I want to take you to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 29 through 32 from the Passion Translation. Let me read this for you. And never let ugly or hateful words come from your mouth, but instead let your words become beautiful gifts that encourage others. Do this by speaking words of grace. Isn't that interesting there? Words of grace to help them. The Holy Spirit of God has sealed you in Jesus Christ until you experience your full salvation. Then it goes on, so never grieve the Spirit of God or take for granted His holy influence in your life. Lay aside, notice this, bitter words, temper tantrums, revenge, profanity, and insults. Just lay those things aside. Don't let them be a part of your interaction. But instead, be kind and affectionate toward one another, Has God graciously forgiven you? There's a question asked. Has God graciously forgiven you? Of course, the answer to that is, yes, He has. Then, that is because of what God's done, then graciously forgive one another in the depths of Christ's love. Notice that statement again. Lay aside bitter words, temper tantrums, revenge, profanity, and insults. Instead, be kind and affectionate and forgiving. That's the choice that we make. It's what allows us to press through the pain points. The second thing I want to talk to you about today, if you and I are going to pursue peace, is we have to accept imperfection in our spouse and in any other people, any other person we're dealing with. Accept the imperfection. There's a tendency that all of us have as human beings that when we make a mistake, anytime you fail at something, If you're like me, what I want from people when I make a mistake is I want them to give me mercy and grace. Anybody with me on that? Right? I want them to be nice to me, to accept me in the midst of my imperfection. However, it's interesting that when we, when it comes to me dealing with other people and probably when it comes to you dealing with other people, when other people make mistakes, Instead of wanting to give them mercy and grace, I have the tendency to want to give them judgment. How about you, okay? I want to fix them. They've messed up, and so now it becomes my job to fix them. You really made a mess here, so let me fix you. You obviously are a problem, and I sort of slap on my God Sheriff badge And I begin to go around to enforce God's laws on people. And I begin to try to fix people. And I become this fixer of other people when I see their imperfection. When when I'm imperfect, forgive me, be merciful to me. But but God forbid, if you're imperfect, then then somehow you're going to have to, I'm going to have to fix you and help you get better. This is this natural tendency that we all have. Let me tell you something. No one, are you hearing me today? No one wants to live with a fixer. Are you hearing me? No one wants to live with a fixer. And in fact, it is no fun to be a fixer. When you're a fixer, you live an unhappy, miserable life because you're always trying to fix the brokenness around you. There's a wonderful thing that can happen to you when you come to the place that you resign from being a fixer of other people. Amen? 
And I'm going to tell you why you need to resign from being a fixer of other people. I'm going to give you three reasons for it. Number one, because you're not perfect yourself. Anybody agree with me this morning? Can you say amen? I'm not perfect. If you're perfect here today, please excuse yourself right now, okay? (laughs) Not a single perfect person in this place, okay? The second thing I want to remind you of today, your spouse isn't perfect. I thought I'd get a really big amen on that one, okay? (laughs) But you're wise enough to keep your mouth shut right there, okay? That's what it is, okay? You're not perfect, and your spouse isn't perfect. Amen to both those things, correct? But I'll tell you something. Here's the third fact. There are no perfect relationships on the planet. Not a single one. The only time you will ever experience perfect relationships is when you go to heaven, okay? That's where perfect relationships exist. But as long as you're down here on planet Earth, you're never going to have a perfect relationship. And so when you begin to adjust yourself to the reality, I'm not perfect, my spouse isn't perfect, and guess what? I don't live in a perfect world, I will never find a perfect relationship. Then when you come to accept that reality, it helps you tremendously to say, you know what? God didn't call me to fix people, God called me to love people. Isn't that great to know? God didn't call me to fix people. God called me to love people. And when I begin to love people, it provides an environment for God to fix people, right? Okay. When you start loving on someone, you create an environment because God is love, okay? So when you begin to love on someone, even when it's difficult, even when they've been imperfect, when you begin to love on an imperfect person, you create an environment of God there. God comes into that situation, and then God is the only one who is able to fix. And so we invite him in. Take a look with me at some scripture verses here that highlight this reality. Isaiah 53, verse 6. We all, notice this, we all like sheep have done what? Have gone astray. Every one of us, all of us, like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own, to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is a messianic prophecy pointing to the coming of Jesus Christ. It's acknowledging to every one of us that we are sinners in need of a Savior. I need a Savior. You need a Savior. Why? Because all of us have gone astray. All of us have turned to our own way. We need the Lord to step in and take upon himself his, our iniquity so that we can be saved from our sin and we can have the hope of life now and in eternity. Take a look with me, if you will, at Proverbs chapter 17, verse 9. Love does what? What does it do? overlooks the mistakes of others, but dwelling on the failures of others does what? Devastates friendship. Look at that again. Love overlooks the mistakes of others, but dwelling on the failures of others devastates friendships. A lot of the reasons that marriages and families are devastated is because this is where people are spending their energy. They're dwelling on the failures of one another. Take a look with me now at 1 Peter chapter 4, verse number 8. The Bible says, most important of all, continue to show Deep love for each other. For what does love do? Love covers a multitude of sin. So love covers over. It's an atoning work. It helps people to experience an environment where God can work effectively in their life. So my challenge and encouragement to you today, if you're going to pursue peace in your marriage, you've got to resign as a fixer. And the third and final thing that we're talking about today is you have to choose. I'm going to skip this verse, by the way. You have to choose to become better and not bitter. You must choose to become better and not bitter. Let me explain what I mean by this. Better not bitter. 
I want you to listen closely to me for the next couple of moments because I don't want you to, be, uh, don't, don't want you to misunderstand what I'm about to say. But what I'm about to say is extremely important. There's a myth about marriage that we talked about, I believe, the first or second weekend in this series. And one of the myths of marriage is that people think that they're going to get married to become happy. Well, I certainly hope you have a happy marriage. It's a wonderful thing to have a happy marriage. It's a good thing to have a happy marriage. It's a great objective to have. But I want you to understand something, that in God's ultimate purpose and plan, God didn't put you together with that person you are with just to make you happy, okay? Actually, God has a bigger plan than that. God put you with that person to make you holy. Why? Because... You need other people in your life to mature and grow. You can't grow by yourself. If we were to take you and pluck you up and put you in a cabin in Montana somewhere all by yourself as a hermit, you know what would happen to you? You had no interaction with people over the next year. Instead of getting better as a person, you get worse as a person. Your idiosyncrasies would get worse than they are already because mentalities, emotions, Psychology all degenerates in the absence of interaction. The only way you can get better is by being around people. People make you better. The right people around you improve your life. They cause you to grow. And in the process of that growth, it will be painful. It will be difficult at times. But it's through the struggles of the relationship, situations that you're in, that you learn things about yourself. You develop your own character. You grow in certain ways. You cannot grow any other way as long as you allow those interactions to make you better and not make you bitter. The only way you'll get better is by interacting with the people around you. And here's the key, that when God designed you, He designed you to be holy. And that word holy, I'm going to talk about that just for a moment. You say, what does that mean? It seems like such a lofty term. How could I ever be holy? Well, holiness represents God. God is holy. But the basic idea of that word is that to be holy is to be godly, to be like God. That is, we begin to learn his characteristics, his nature, that we, become to, we begin to reflect more of who he is in our lives. We talk about becoming Christ-like. That's what it means to be holy. And here's the key. The more holy you become, the more happy you will be. You got that? See, we try to go after happiness, and God says, no, 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 no. Don't go after happiness. Go after holiness. Because if you go after holiness, you will also capture happiness in your life. So joy is found in pursuing holiness, letting God change us on the inside. Now, here's the thing to remember. If God's going to grow you on the inside and grows you through interactions with people, sometimes those interactions are going to be challenging, as I mentioned a moment ago, because that's the only way you're going to grow. We'll look at some verses in just a moment that highlight this. But let me explain it this way. When it comes, let's talk about your physical body just for a moment. For your body to get stronger, your body, your muscles never improve with you sitting on the sofa at your house. You never get any stronger. In fact, if all you do is ever sit on the sofa, your muscles actually atrophy. Your muscles never improve by a casual walk to the refrigerator. It doesn't happen, okay? A casual walk to the refrigerator does nothing for your muscles, 
The only way your muscles will ever develop is you've got to go into a gym and you've got to pick up some barbells or get on an exercise machine that is designed for one purpose. The barbells, the exercise machine is standing in your face with resistance. That's what it, that's what it is. They're called resistance machines. Why? Because they're going to resist your efforts to engage with them. And so when you engage in pressing forward with that exercise machine or lifting up those barbells and trying to press them over your head, what you're doing is you're actually engaging in resistance. You are, we say it this way, no pain, no gain. Because you're, you're engaging something. It is not fun. It, it hurts at times to do this. And in fact, I don't understand this completely physiologically, but what I do understand is that when you're pressing against those things, those, what happens is your, your muscle fibers begin to tear a little bit along the way, and then they repair. And when they repair, they repair stronger than they were before and bigger than they were before. Why? Because you've exercised them against resistance. You've been in some trouble, and in the midst of your trouble, you got stronger. You've been in the midst of some pain, and in your pain, you got stronger. In the midst of some kind of difficulty, pushing against that machine, it was hard, it was difficult, but you came out on the other side stronger than you were than when you went in. Why? Because no pain, no gain, no resistance, no growth, and the same is true right now in your marriage, in your relationships. Maybe you're going through some pain right now, but that pain can be your gain. That pain can be the very thing that causes you to press in and experience something you would have never experienced before. Take a look at what the Apostle Paul says about this. Paul was going through a very difficult period of time in his own life. He referred to the fact that he was facing a, a, a thorn in the flesh. We don't know exactly what it was, but it was very difficult. Probably had something to do with certain relationships, uh, people that were not uh, very agreeable with him, giving him a hard time, a variety of things that could have been occurring. But he goes to God three times and asks God to take away the problem. Anybody ever ask God to take away your problem? Okay. So here he is three times. God, take away my problem. God, take away my problem. God, take away my problem. And then God answered him. And I want you to read with me what God said to Paul after Paul prayed for God to take away his problem. Each time, that is each time I prayed for this, he, that is God said, what did he say? My grace is all you need. My power works best in... Weakness. So now, Paul says, I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Notice Paul said, there are times I've been going through some hardships and times that I've faced some troubles, but I've learned to celebrate in those times because what they do is they drive me to my weakest point and in my weakest point, I find God's greatest strength. When you get to your weakest point in a relationship and it causes you to pray more than you've ever prayed more, to pray deeper than you've ever prayed before, to get into God's word like you've never gotten into God's word before, to be more attentive to the word of God as it's being taught like you've never been before, it drives you in and what you find is in my weakness, God made me strong. Take a look at, if you will, amen. James, we're going to conclude with this today. It says verses 2 through 5. I'm actually going to read only through verse number 4. Dear brothers, living Bible, dear brothers and sisters, we could say as well, is your life full of difficulties and temptations? Is your life full of? You got any marriage difficulties, any relationship difficulties? Is your life full of difficulties and temptations? Then be? Huh? 
I don't get that. Do you? Are you with me on that? I don't get that. Is your life full of difficulties and temptations? Then be, then be happy. I don't want to be happy when I'm going through difficulties. I want to be grumpy. How about you? Okay. I want to be mad. I want to be frustrated. No. He says, no, be happy. Make a choice to be happy for when the way is rough. You have some rough waters, some rough challenges in your marriage, in your relationship. When your way is rough, your patience, this word can also mean endurance, represents character in us. Your patience or endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow and don't try to squirm out of your problems. For when your patience, your endurance is finally in full bloom, then you will be ready for anything strong in character, full and complete. A moment ago, I told you that God's purpose for your life was not for you to be happy. It was for you to be holy. But when you are holy, when you begin to let this process work in your life, rejoicing in, growing through your problems, then out of this holiness comes what? Happiness. What are we learning today? We're learning the value of pursuing peace. You'll never have peace in your marriage unless you make the decision to pursue it, to work toward it. How do you work toward peace? You got to make the decision to address any pain point when it comes up in a positive way. You're not going to address it negatively, but positively. You got to learn to accept the imperfections of your spouse. As much as you want them to accept your imperfections, you've got to accept theirs You've got to make the decision that when the way is rough, I'm not going to become bitter. I am going to become what? Better. Would you bow your heads together together with me as we pray? Father, thank you for your word today. We're grateful for the opportunity we have in this season of our church life to study marriage and family and relationships and how you've called us to start thinking about moving from the me life to the we life. And I pray, God, that something that was said today would ring true in each of our hearts. He'd help us to apply these principles as we go from this place It'll be more than just a lesson we heard. Let it be a life-altering, transformational truth that we grab hold of, that we live out in our lives from this day forward. We ask it in Jesus' name. I would like to close today by giving you an opportunity to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Would you pray with me right now? Right where you are, just simply bow your head with me, and I'm going to give you a prayer to pray. And you can simply speak this prayer out, whisper this prayer out, and from the sincerity of your heart, call upon God, and I promise you that He will hear and answer you. So let's pray together. Start by simply whispering the name Jesus. Let there come uh, from your heart just the declaration of His name. Say, Jesus, I know that, that I am a sinner, that I have fallen short with you. I'm sorry for all of my sins. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are God's Son. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave, that you are alive today. Now pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a new start in you. I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says that when we call upon God's name, we call upon the Son of God, there is salvation that comes to our lives. He changes us from the inside out, and you become a new creation. All things pass away. All things become new. And that's exactly what has happened to you today. 
your next step really is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church. And you begin to study God's Word, get God's Word in you, and to make sure that you get a copy of the Bible if you don't have one and begin to read it. Spend some time every day in prayer. And I would encourage you also to check out the resources on our website that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. You can find them at church-redeemer.org. Get those into your hands. Get started in your new life with Jesus Christ. Thanks again for joining us today. May God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you next time. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to church-redeemer.org slash a new you. We pray that this message was a blessing to you. 